Hey, ho, 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 It is me, Santa Claus. Welcoming you to another episode of The Bookening. No, folks, it's me, Nathan. Ho, ho, ho. Welcoming you to a little Christmas episode that I'm doing with my good friend, Brandon Chastine. It's barely an hey. episode. We're just saying hi. Because it's Christmas and, you know. Wanna, we're actually taping this on Christmas. Yeah. So we want to get back to our families. They're not too happy about this. Nope. But I, hey. I actually, Brandon was just opening presents with his family and I crawled down his chimney. Yes. And, and burst out. <laughs> it was tra- burned, burned my face. Yeah, it was a little bit traumatic for the kids. So yeah. they're all... In the back room crying right now. Yep. <laughs> Brandon, we have to record as the flesh melted off my face from the roaring fire that Brandon keeps yep, in his just fireplace. Just like that last scene in Indiana Jones. Just like the last scene in Indiana Jones. Yep. Where he sees the spaceship yeah. pop out and fly away. Yep. That's the way that Brandon left his children behind. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we're <laughs> glad you picked up on the imagery there. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Brandon. Merry Christmas, Nathan. And welcome to the... Merry Christmas, Jake. Yeah. Hi, Merry Christmas, guys. <laughs> Jake, what's wrong? You got transformed into an elf? Oh, yeah. You're just one of those elves you put on your shelf. One of those elves that I put on my shelf? Yeah, I'm an elf on a shelf. But Jake, you're not standing on a shelf. Oh, no. Oh, he just <laughs> fell off the table. <laughs> Should yeah. we help him back up? Nah. All right. <laughs> As amazing as that conceit was, as much gold as there was to be mined yeah. out of it. <laughs> oh, I'm so sad that we didn't continue that. <laughs> ah, well, it's Christmas, and not, not to tell tales out of school. Jake's not actually here. That wasn't actually Jake. That was Brandon doing a, oh, man. a spot-on impersonation. <laughs> but it's going to believe you, Nathan. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. What, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> we have such a talented person as Brandon. That's right. I am a voice actor. Brandon is a voice actor. Yeah. Ooh, well, Christmas. Christmas. It means a little something different to everyone. Sure. To me, it means a tree. Yeah. Presents. Yeah. Stuff like that. To Brandon, it means yelling at his kids. Yep. Smacking some of them. Yep. Covering himself in gravy that he drinks from a bowl oh yeah to try and drown his own self-contempt yep as his wife sobs in the corner yeah Yeah, it means something different to all of us you know you got it spot on nathan (laughs) (laughs) it's a magical time of year to jake it means being an elf to jake it means being an elf three different christmases (laughs) that we all experience we're really just popping in to say hi today because it's christmas and And we need to do something we need to do something we generally don't take days off. Every, I think maybe twice, a couple times in the bookings run, we just haven't released an episode. But generally, we try to release 52 episodes a year. Yeah, people expect it. People expect it. Continuity and... I know some of you guys gather around your Christmas tree Christmas morning just to listen to the bookening. Mm-hmm. It's a little weird. But hey, we're here for you. Yeah. We want to keep that family tradition alive. Sorry, kids. You can't open your presents yet. Not yet. Not yet. And this episode will be four hours long. We're watching you. We're watching you. We're like Santa Claus or somebody else if you don't do Santa Claus because Santa Claus doesn't exist, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Can you keep that in, Nathan? Yeah, I'll keep it in. <laughs> Spoiler alert, 
about two minutes ago, Brandon said the Santa Claus, well, my sense of time is really off. Yeah. Spoiler alert, like 30 seconds ago, Brandon said that Santa Claus doesn't exist. I'm going to start just putting spoiler alerts after yeah. our spoilers so people can know that something was just spoiled. But here's another spoiler alert. Yeah. I was just joking. He does exist. Yep. He's standing right behind you. <laughs> uh, Brandon. Yeah. I guess let's talk about great Christmas scenes in literature. Yeah, let's do it. What is the greatest Christmas scene? What's the crummiest Christmas scene in literature? Oh, the crummiest. Hmm. Probably just not that memorable. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Let's let's just name some Christmas scenes. Well, my favorite Christmas scene in all of literature is this Troika ride in um, War and Peace. I'll go another. I'll go a step further. My favorite scene in all of literature. That might not literally be true, but man, it's got to be top ten or it's, something it's like right that. Up there. It's right up there. Yeah. It's just he being Tolstoy captures that magic of the winter snow and being there with people you love, being young with people you're interested in mm-hmm. and all the excitement and the warmth and the awkwardness and it's just, it's amazing. That's what he really gets. If, if you've ever been a young person who's in love with someone and you both end up on the same youth trip or at the same Christmas party or... I help out with our church's youth group, so I observe this sort of... yeah tension in the air all the time and the sparks and the excitement and the yep the joy de vivre and the miserable heartbreak what's the guy's name it's so sophia is the girl nikolai? it's nikolai yeah. yeah yeah just the the palpable chemistry yep at christmas he really he gets it he gets it Yep. And they all go mumming, which is they go to people's houses and sing, but they're all dressed up and mm-hmm. sort of the charm and the youthful charm of it all. Like the girls have a little charcoal mustache on yeah, yeah, yeah. the way that Nikolai notices that. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, he gets it without being, without being sentimental. sentimental or perverse, Yeah, which is what a modern writer would do. Mm-hmm. Would, yeah. Have him sneak off somewhere or something, but. No, what Tolstoy always is able to do, and it's just amazing. He can evoke something like that. But he it, he makes it feel like it snuck up on him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he he's just observing. He's just a camera that is unblinking and it's gaze that just, this is just what happened to happen and I happened to be there. It never feels like Tolstoy is striving for effect. He, always, he, he feels like a reporter who just happened to be at these various things and knew how to recount them for us. Yep. Which is, of course, his artistry because... He and I don't know if I'm telling tales out of school. Tolstoy came up with some of this stuff in his head. and What? This didn't really happen? Yeah, it didn't really. There were no these people. (laughs) Pierre never existed. Pierre never existed. He existed in our hearts, though. Yes. So I think that's number one with a bullet. That's the number one Christmas scene in all of literature, right? That's what I would say. Well, what are the contenders? So you've got a wonderful chapter on Christmas in My Antonia. That's, That's one of the contenders for sure. And it's uh, just the details of their prairie Christmas life, cutting the tree, decorating it, grandma making. Yeah. And I think things. that along the same lines, you have a uh, little house on the prairie. Mm-hmm. Mr. Edwards brings them. Or is that little house in the big woods? I get them confused. I think little house in the big woods does have a good Christmas scene. Yeah. They both, I mean, she is able to create those Christmas scenes pretty well. I think of little house in the big woods as being the one that's more wintry and. Yeah. Think yeah. of Little House on the Prairie is the one where they get snowed in and he has to bring them the sugar candy and the little yeah, yeah, yeah. tin can mm-hmm. and the, yeah. So that's a great Christmas scene. And just to help put perspective on your own Christmases, I know as a little boy, that was really effective. Mm-hmm. 
Dickens has some good Christmas scenes. Obviously, yeah. Uh, you have A Christmas Carol, which is a Christmas story, but he also has some good just festive scenes. Like David Copperfield has a really good one with mm-hmm. some punch that I've always wanted to really try to make, which sounds delicious. But yeah. Yeah, I think the mark of a good Christmas scene is, is this what you'd want to go visit if you had a, a time machine or if you could step into a book and some of those scenes are... Dickens was so influential on my understanding of Christmas that for a while, when we don't really do it as much anymore, but we would have Dickens Christmas parties. Mm-hmm. Adam, kind of before you and I became friends. Yeah. We should re-institute that. I think I've been to one because our good friend, Curtis, who was, who is 6'9 or something like that, very tall gentleman, very big, broad-shouldered gentleman, put on a robe and a a wreath around his head. That's right. Every every time someone knocked on the door, he'd say, come in and know me better, man. Sounds like something you and I could do pretty well together. Yeah. So I could stand we, on your shoulders, put on a mean, get, get a big robe. Halloween party this year. We did. We did. We had a fun Halloween it's party not, this year. We traumatized several children. And we're going to traumatize more in the future. That's right. <laughs> yep. That is the plan. <clears throat> Dickens yeah. also enters into a Victorian tradition that I, of course, really like, which is the Christmas ghost story. People around that time really associated Christmas with the supernatural, both yep. good and bad. And one of the things that they would do is sit around a fire and tell ghost stories in the evening come a holiday season and so most dickens has some frequently anthologized ghost classics besides christmas carol which is another kind of ghost classic but the signalman things like this were in fact stories that he wrote for his periodicals when christmas came around so a lot actually a lot of the great victorian ghost literature which that was a, a rich time for the field comes from Christmas yeah. because people just like to tell those stories around Christmas time. It's a spooky time of a year. And that's not a scene, but I guess we could throw Seuss some love with the Grinch. Yeah. The Grinch. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> that is a good one. Yeah. You, you, you like that Dr. Seuss, Brandon? As a famed Irish poet yourself. Yeah, that's right. I like Dr. Seuss in small doses. Yeah. I think his influence has been bad. I think that Dr. Seuss makes it look easy and then everybody thinks that they can write that uh, they can write children's poetry. That's what I find when I read Seuss is that he actually does it really well. Yeah. He was trying to imagine. Now I'm about to make people mad. He's not one of those classics that has that position without really me understanding why. Mm Mm-hmm. Like he fits in there with Milne and he fits in there with E.B. White as like he deserves that position. Yeah. His stuff is good. Like my I, have daughter, a, I have a feeling you're about to tell us something. My that daughter doesn't... has really made, really been into reading Curious George lately. Mm-hmm. And man, those are bad. <laughs> <laughs> I've not read them since I'm an adult, so I don't, yeah. I don't really have perspective on it. I think it. the first one is okay, mm-hmm. but like the continue, like when he goes to a chocolate factory, stuff like that, you're just like, no, man, I don't want to read this. It's like the same conceit over and over again. I just feel like that man with a yellow hat needs to put up leash and a muzzle on george yeah that would have saved all sorts of problems yeah uh, george he's a little curious for my taste well maybe I, it's that they're mediocre mm-hmm. that's what i should say i shouldn't this is really mean to say they're bad because that's not true they're not that no. bad what is kind of bad is the berenstein bears but maybe we stay away from that oh no brandon you've put a small hole in the fabric of talking about the berenstein bears and i'm gonna charge through the hole of that because fabric. you love them right nathan <laughs> <laughs> because i love them No, I grew up with the Berenstein Bears. I actually do have a lot of fond memories and nostalgia just for certain images. Actually, there was a book of the holidays. It was just like a big kind of Berenstein Bears, Richard Scarry style, though, where it just had all these things labeled, these big panoramic pictures with pumpkins and 
stuff for Halloween, you know, like all the different things that were labeled. Here's a pumpkin. Here's the thing. Here's a light. Here's a costume. I, I have a lot of fondness and nostalgia for the Berenstain Bears, but even as a kid, I felt so condescended to yeah. and so preached at. And, the, and they are just liberal propaganda. They are so explicitly feminist. And Papa Bear can never be good. Yeah, Papa Bear is a moron. He always has to learn the same lesson. Mm-hmm. So it's just as, I mean, that's the children. Whatever they're learning, Papa Bear has to learn. Well, and usually the kids get on board first. Like they'll yeah. stop eating junk food, but then it'll be like, they didn't have to watch Papa Bear because that idiot. That kept- obese schlump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kept eating food. So... Yeah, Bernstein bears are awful. Yeah, so I'll I'll take a, a step back. I mm-hmm. was a, I was people were feeling my um, the way that emotionally I feel about having to read mm-hmm. Curious George, but really just it's just mediocre. It, like the writing's not wonderful. What is good about Seuss is that he really captures what's difficult to do with children's poetry. Is that children's poetry gets the opportunity to take delight in just the basic reality of poetry, which mm-hmm. no, but no poets do anymore, right. which is just this poetry is about the way that words sound. Mm-hmm. It's about the delight in language, the delight in creating imagery with words and have also the sound of the words and that marriage of sound with meaning. And the great children's poetry does that. And Seuss does it really well. So yeah. like Green Eggs and Ham, it's really fun to get to that part where he just starts talking about where he won't eat it yeah. and just to race through it. And then as someone who writes children's poems myself trying to think wow that takes a lot of work to make like that word and that word to put it where he puts it and that image and that image like the balance and stuff he's doing it's he's actually mm. really really good yeah, yeah and people who try to do what he does they are trying to recreate a highly individual he's like the e. Cummings of children's literature mm-hmm. i'm just now saying this for the first time but i think that's probably pretty true i think that's true in the sense that nobody ever can write like e.e e. cummings again but and an amateur <laughs> hack looking at E. e. Cummings is like, ah, I just uh, don't capitalize and I split things up and I say some weird stuff and it works. Yeah. It's the same thing with Dr. Seuss. Oh, I just make up some nonsense words and I use some easy rhymes and have a basic meter. And it's like, no, doing something that seemingly simple is yeah. the hardest thing that you can do if you're going to do it well. And when you get those highly individualistic writers that have that style that everybody knows, it's pretty lazy to try and copy them because that's what, they were the ones who did it. It's not like they were creating a new genre for us. That was Seuss. Mm-hmm. That was E.E. E. Cummings. Nobody else gets to do that now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's why I don't like the Babylon Bee because yeah. they're just doing the onion. Yeah. And it's like, uh, do you, do you, as, as Christians, do you, sorry, this is, has nothing to do with Christmas. It's just a, a rant, but yeah. as Christians, do you not appreciate that Having a creative way to do something, having a formula, like that's something that takes work and takes effort, and you can't just steal that. That's right there in the Ten Commandments. Like you, yeah. you cannot just take someone else's formula. You can learn from people. You can be inspired by people. You can take ideas and themes and even gimmicks and figure out how to repurpose them. That's that's the whole fun of any kind of writing is looking at what people have done before and then figuring out how to put your spin on it, but there has to be a spin. You can't yeah. just do your your own Dr. Seuss. You can't just do your own The Onion. Yeah, or if, so like then people will say, well, you know, how could you ever write children's poems because aren't you always just borrowing like Milne? He just wrote kind of classic mm-hmm. poems and you're like, well, 
and that's different because in that sense, he was also borrowing from tradition and putting his own mill and spin on it. So in, in the very least, when you're, you'll have at least your own tone come through, right? Yeah. You might not always, in other words, you might not always be like someone who's really creative and eccentric with form. That's fine. Not every poet or creator has to be. Right. So. But I, th- I do think if someone has actually created their own form that's so individualistic or individual to them, like an E.E. E. Cummings, like a Dr. Seuss. Yeah. You can't just take that. You have to figure out how to adapt it somehow. Like E.E. E. Cummings actually is very musical. With mm-hmm. his, he's not, wasn't just, and so is um, the closest to E.E. E. Cummings we had, which was, uh, man, my brain is not working today. Uh, the guy with the, the plums and the red wheel. Oh, William Carlos oh, yeah, Williams. Williams. Thank you. William, yeah. I knew it was William Williams. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to think of his middle name. <laughs> William something Williams. Oh, William Williams, you know. <laughs> but nobody ever says that. It's right. William Carlos Williams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But he still had his own William Carlos Williams style. And so people then take E.E. E. Cummings and they take Carlos Williams and they don't. They also miss out on the music. I think this is what modern poetry has missed out on. Mm-hmm is that fundamental aspect of poetry is it's about the music of language. And so you just get like the New Yorker publishing Margaret, Margaret Atwood's poetry. <laughs> and it's bad. It's like, really? You want me to read it to you? Yeah, please. It's like, it, it's bad. It sounds like prose. It's because they have no ear for poetry anymore. Um, let's see. Where is it? I think it's this one. Yeah, a poem by Margaret Atwood. And then they also published another poet recently who was a novelist who decided to write a poem. And it's like, things wear out, also fingers. Gnarling sets in. Your hands crouch in their mittens. Forget chopsticks and buttons. Feet have their own agendas. They scorn your taste in shoes and ignore your trails, your maps. Ears are superfluous. What are they for, those alien pink flaps? Skull fungus. The body, once your accomplice, is now your... Let me be fair. Let me try to read it like poetry. Mm -hmm. The body, once your accomplice, is now your trap. The sunrise makes you wince, too bright, too flamingo. The sunrise? The sunrise makes you wince, too bright, too flamingo. Mm -hmm. After a lifetime of tangling, of knotted snares and lance work, of purple head space tornadoes with their heart race and rubble, you crave the end of mazes and pray for a white shore, an ocean with its horizon, not so much bliss, but a flat line you steer for. No more hiss and slosh, no reefs, no deeps, no throat rattle of gravel. It sounds like this. <laughs> I think you improved the poem, man. <laughs> There's no music. Yeah, it's just, There's no music. It's prose that someone decided to put into stanza form and create. It is it reads like a mad lib, Brandon. That's what yeah. it reads like. Uh, what word can I put there? Ooh, the the sun's grimace. But I was more like Margaret at wooden ear for poetry. As people who listen to our Thanksgiving episode, they know that I'm trying to actually kind of have a, a little bit of a growing career as a poet. Mm-hmm. And one place people would love to get published is The New Yorker. I think that reading that in this last edition kind of got me over really caring anymore because I the, the New Yorker is a whore. Mm-hmm. The New Yorker doesn't care about poetry anymore. They're going to either publish people who speak to the political moment or they're going to other p- publish other writers who are going to improve their image. So from the same magazine, they published a fairly poorly written piece by Obama about healthcare. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the New Yorker today. It's no longer E.B. White's New Yorker. So the politicalization of discourse, man. Yeah. And it has really, really ruined art. It's really ruined so many things. 
Yeah, back when we did our lit crit episodes, I think that's something that we we emphasized because how could we not? We didn't emphasize it enough is just how much of all that structuralism and post-structuralism, all that stuff was so linked to chic sort of Marxism. All those French yeah. guys, your Roland Barthes, all those guys were Marxists, basically. And so that's become the dominant discourse of art. And so it's disgusting. It is disgusting. There was no music to that Margaret Atwood. But they published it. It's not, it's not, it's not a poem. Yeah, and so I, I, when I read that, I lost respect for whoever their editor is now. I think it's Kevin DeYoung, mm-hmm. so he's never going to listen to this. And if he does, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Kevin D. Why are we talking about this? Oh, we were talking about Dr. Seuss's Yeah. The Grinch. <laughs> and you asked me if I like Dr. Seuss, and somehow we got here. So I, yeah. Dr. Seuss was good at what he did. <laughs> we, any other Christmas scenes, Nathan? <laughs> Famous Christmas scenes. I think we may have named them all. That's all I can think of. I mean, I can think of ones on film and TV, but let's see here. There's got to be here. Well, we'll do what we did over back there's, in our There's the Feast of Pentecost in the Arthurian Legends. That's Get us to 1500 and we'll talk about it. Yep, but not before. Christmas scenes in literature. literature. Let's see here. The best Christmas scenes in English literature. English, okay. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone by J.K. Rowling. We forgot to mention that great scene that I don't remember. Me neither. At all. Is that the one where he has to spend Christmas by himself and they all decide to... I don't know. Let me see. I actually have an excerpt from it. After a meal of turkey, sandwiches, crumpets, Mm. trifle, and Christmas cake, everyone felt too full and sleepy to do much before bed except sit and watch Percy chase Fred and George all over Gryffindor Tower because they'd stolen his prefect badge. And Brandon, if that doesn't just put you, <laughs> just connect yeah. you to pure Christmas there we spirit. Have it. That's the greatest Christmas scene ever right there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, random article from, oh, this is, this is from modernmrsdarcy.com, Ooh. by the way. Weathering Heights. I have read that. I do not remember the Christmas scene. It's probably bleak and depressing. Yeah. I smelt the rich scent of the heating spices and admired the shining kitchen utensils, the polished clock decked in holly, the silver mugs ranged on a tray ready to be filled with mule da- mule. How do you say that? Mule dale? Mold ale? Mold. Yeah, I'm an idiot. Mold ale for supper. And above all, the speckless purity of my particular care, the scoured and well-swept floor. There you go. Bridget Jones' diary. Of course. Oh. How could we forget? Yeah, skip that one. <laughs> all right. I'm just going to skip ahead. Great expectations. We mentioned Dickens. We did mention Dickens. So this is Pip joining his Christ, his sister's family for Christmas dinner. He steals some mincemeat pie, apparently. There you go. Persuasion. We read that, but I don't remember a famous Christmas scene. I don't remember a Christmas scene at all. Modern Mrs. Darcy might be a little biased. Boy, okay, that was a There's terrible... There's the famous Christmas feast that Darcy throws, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When the three ghosts visit him. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've, you got to be nicer to this lady and marry her. Yeah. I forgot about that. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to try another article. This is from the Huffington Post. They'll know their stuff. Oh, yeah. War and Peace. Hey, thank you, Huffington Post. Well, they got that right. Is that at the top of their list right there? Uh, let's see. Little Women and then War and Peace. So okay. apparently Little Women has a famous one. Emma. Okay, so I do actually remember this scene from Emma. Mr. Elton proposes to her after a Christmas Yeah, okay. Call. It's not a ton of Christmas feeling in that scene, but it's a good scene. Christmas Carol, can't argue with that. 
The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Father uh, Christmas breaking yeah, in. Yes, of course. Nah, it's fine. I never I mean, thought of that as really Christmas, though. Little House on the Prairie. Okay. Christmas morning. There's stockings. Yep. Been a long time. So they're agreeing with quite a bit of what we've said. Uh, Far From the Matting Crowd by Thomas Hardy. Oh, well, I would not remember anything gleeful and hardy, that's for sure. <laughs> the man was what? just a fount of Christmas joy, yeah. wasn't he? What happens there? Something depressing happens, right? Somebody... Uh, uh let's see here Truth, the obscure man that's a dark one it has all the i just read tests of the dubervilles not too long ago that's yeah that's a, a you read Jude the obscure i started it i just couldn't you know what happens in that one right uh jude does not come to a happy end right no well yeah no definitely not but um one of his oldest son from a previous marriage ends up killing his two young kids and then hanging himself <laughs> you know i hate it when that happens yeah Started so many marriages and it just happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you did you ever did you read Tess of the Dubervilles? Yeah, a long time ago. Though. You remember how it ends? Like she flee. Like it starts out. She's she's seduced and she's sad and she yeah. loses her virginity. All this stuff loses her. Her life is ruined. And I thought, okay, you know, now she's going to descend into a ruined life and it'll be the end. But then it goes to some weird melodramatic thing where she and her lover are fleeing through Stonehenge and the police are after them and wow she runs into the mist and is shot or something like it, it's I like I don't remember that at all so the Coen brothers took it, it, over, it yeah I think the Coen <laughs> brothers are like Hardy let's do a rewrite <laughs> very strange stuff I don't know you like that Thomas Hardy not really yeah I mean he had talent I can't oh, he's a good writer yeah for but sure. <laughs> you know what they the way they describe far from the matting crowd which I've not read have you read far from the matting crowd I think it might be one that I've started along with the mayor of Casterbridge, just never finished. Mm, yeah. The, the, the way that Puff Post describes it, it has all the trappings of decked halls and yuletide cheer, but none of the actual cheer. Yeah, there you go. Imagine that. Oh, the dead. Oh boy, Brandon. That's a great Christmas scene. Yeah. Maybe that, that might even rock it right to the top of the list. Yeah. It's right up there with Dickens, I mean, uh, Tolstoy for sure. Yeah. The dead. Well, what the dead captures so well, and I think it is the, I think it's the best short story ever written. Is that? Oh, I, that's true. I would say that. Yeah, yeah. What it what it captures actually is that the melancholy that I think we all feel in the holiday season when we, I think many of us have had the experience of being in the holidays. We're supposed to feel joy. Maybe we even have a joyful experience somewhere, and then exactly what happens to the protagonist of the story happens to us. We something happens where we're suddenly reflecting on our past and on the future. The holidays are a very melancholy time of reflection and the dead captures that yeah i mean i words my words maybe words could do it justice my words right now are not doing it justice but man it's something that's it's worth reading yeah if you haven't read it read it Uh, this is one that's just so daunting i've never been able to get through it but apparently it has a good christmas scene vanity fair i forgot the christmas scene doesn't surprise me harry potter and the sorcerer's stone again yeah and the mill on the floss apparently has one. Huh. I never read it. I'm trying to remember if that's one I've read. I've read Middlemarch and Silas I've read, Marner. I've read Adam Bede. A weird one to have read. I don't think I've ever read the mill on the floss. Yeah, me neither. I think my wife started it. Yeah. It's pretty weird. But apparently there's a great Christmas scene in it. There you go. So The Dead and War Tolstoy. Yep. Those are the two. Those are the two I would put up there. Yep. The great Christmas scenes. There you go. There you go. So go read The Dead and the scene for more in peace Mm -hmm. and have a Merry Christmas.
Read the Dead. Read the scene for War and Peace. Have a Merry Christmas. Christmas Carol is always fun to read around this time too. Yes, and it's a wonderful. Dickens really does come alive when you read him out li- loud. Yeah. If you're a holly jolly sort of father figure and you can crack that book open and do some voices for it. And yeah, if you want to give somebody the Christmas present they really want, read it, record it, and then email it to Jake. Yes. The more recordings we get of Christmas Carol. Dickens in general. Send Dickens in general. Send it to Jake. In fact, what Jake was telling us he really wanted was a recording of Hard Times. Oh, yeah. That's really what he wants. <laughs> Somebody wants to do that. And he wants to be able to savor every word. So if you can read Hard Times as slowly as possible, then I think that Jake will finally, for once in his life, have a Merry Christmas. Yep. Yeah, God, I will. <laughs> What's that, Jake? You're, you're going to have a Merry Christmas if someone reads Hard Times to you really slowly? Oh, you know it. All right. Well, Merry Christmas, Jake. Merry Christmas, old Nathan. <laughs> Did I mention I'm old Nathan? Usually regular Nathan's on this show, but I'm old Nathan. <sighs> Merry Christmas, Brandon. Merry Christmas, Nathan. Goodbye, folks. We'll be back with some New Year's thoughts and stuff like that.